Welcome to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. I'm Michael Hyatt, and in each episode, we'll talk to local entrepreneurs, hear their stories, learn from their setbacks, and pick up some new insights along the way. So this week, we're talking staying motivated in business with Mike Darlington. Hey, Michael. Hey, Nisha. So who do we have today? So today we have Mike Darlington. He's a co-founder of a record label called Monster Cat. Mike has had his business for nine years. He's based in Vancouver. And when I talked to him earlier this week, he told me so many of the things that he's had on his plate over the last couple months, both personally and professionally. So timing is impeccable to have him on today's show um, to really chat with him about his business and, and his motivations. Well, I can't think of an industry that's gone through more change, even in the past 20 years. I mean, a record label, music, how we produce it, how we put it out there. So much has changed even in the past couple of months with what's going on. Uh, I'm not surprised he's got a lot on his plate, and I'm really interested to chat with him. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll bring him right on. So, Mike, this is Alone by Marshmallow. This is one of your big hits. It is fantastic and i've never heard it and i can't stop playing it thank you i'm happy to hear that how did you find these guys the electronic industry is a pretty tight-knit community and uh we were already working with an artist and his management reached out and said hey we got a new guy we're developing right now um his name is marshmallow you want to check out some of his records and uh, at that point he was it was really early stage he was developing out of soundcloud but yeah he's got on to become a pop star he's got collabs with the biggest artists in the world he's Probably in the top 50 most streamed artists around the world. Wow, that's that's fabulous. So, you know, tell me a little bit about your history and how you got started. I think you were from Waterloo, then you made it over to Vancouver because you like yeah. the weather better. But uh, <laughs> I get that. So, how yeah. did it all start? You know, I, I had a lot of passion for electronic music. You know, while in school, I was getting out there, going down to Toronto a lot for shows, and I just kind of fell in love with the the genre. Um, and it, it started off as a small pet project, working with some uh, some artists that I knew from the online community, actually specifically from the video game community. I'd play games with them. So I had done a bit of marketing at that point, uh, social media marketing for an app company. And I thought, you know, it makes sense. Like, I'm still in school. I'll help you guys out any way I can. And it's kind of all started falling. All the pieces fell into place as we uh, we took on more responsibility, did bigger projects for them. And at one point, I, I realized, I'm like, well, wow, this isn't like an actual company now. Uh, instead of it just being that like side hustle, like while just trying to graduate. And what was the definitive problem you were trying to solve in the beginning? Really, the big issue for artists was discoverability in the earliest stages of their career uh, and monetization. You know, when we talk about musicians, especially you know ten years ago, it was kind of like you hustle, you hustle, and then you get a record label contract, and you get like you you actually make right. some money at that point. Um, but I was seeing from, you know, working in the social media world, the development of influencers, the growth of influencers, uh, and the generating revenue in like novel ways. So we kind of looked at Monster Cat as this community platform for discovery for developing artists to give them that shot, you know, before they're anywhere near getting their, their big major label contract. Um, they've got an opportunity to reach an audience of people and, and, and generate some revenue and kind of, you know, support their, their, their livelihood. Really, I just wanted a lot of our guys to quit their day jobs. I wanted them to be able to like focus on music, um, and whatever way it took to get to that point, uh, we were we were going to figure it out. And your kind of unique idea, as I understand it, is that you licensed per song, not per album. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it came in a time again where 
people were expected to sign these big contracts. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like you're a young dude or a young woman and you don't really know what your future is going to look like. Um, let's monetize the music as it comes. And, you know, if, if you want to take a big deal down the road, you can do that. But I'm not going to lock you into some contract now when, you know, I don't even know what the future of a monster cat would look like. Um, so I'd say that was pretty novel. And I, I'd say the other aspect of being that was pretty novel was we really developed around uh, YouTube and, and developing a community. Not that different than, you know, esports organizations would develop their their platforms. Um, yeah. How has your staff reacted to working from home in the music business? You know, I think in the beginning there was uh, there was definitely a lot of stress. Um, I could see, you know, flare-ups between people. It was definitely tough for a lot of people who live and breathe, you know, the the extrovert type. They need to have people around them. Uh, they struggled, but you know, they came around once they started to develop, you know, their lifestyle changes that they needed to stay stable. But in the beginning, you no, know, it was definitely difficult. I, I know people were very scared. Uh, I think they were also scared because they were seeing. You know, the the music industry just getting obliterated. Uh, and I say that in at least in our genre, because majority of businesses in our genre have um, a component that relies upon live, like a large right. component. Like it, it, it used to be that you could just sell, quote, records or CDs, and that was mm -hmm. the way to make money. And, and, and it's now it's completely opposite. Uh, you see every band coming back from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, touring, because touring is the way you make money now, right? Yeah. For our competitors, a lot of them have management deals, 360 deals. Um, they really relied upon that that touring revenue. And for dance music, that is the large majority of, of an artist's, you know, the larger scale of their revenue. Uh, an artist, I think, can, can definitely survive off of live streaming and, and, uh, and, you know, music streams. But, you know, these are management companies behind them that might have 30 employees or record labels that have a 15-person live and, and management division. Those are the parts of the businesses that, really required that lar those large cash injections from tours that just haven't been able to survive and they've they've furloughed a large majority of their staff so you know for our team seeing that occur around them friends colleagues family um it was definitely really scary for people and it still is to this day what's it like personally for you i i people ask me a lot like what, what it's like being a ceo and i tell them it's probably the most lonely experience ever and that's just on an average day without COVID, I find that it's a, a very certain path you've got to take. And and it's not like you're there to make friends. You're there to kind of steer the ship and and, and do everything else. How did you find it uh, kind of pre-COVID being a CEO? And then what happened when the, the virus hit? The music industry is an interesting place. You you are working with creative people and they're putting their, their heart on their sleeve. And uh, it's hard not to develop you know, personal personal relationships and with your team members and 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 you wanting to spend time with them actually outside of just the office. So, I think it can be lonely at times because it's it's hard to know what you can say or who you can talk to about your own personal struggles. Um, I'm very fortunate that you know I started my business with my best friend. Um, many of my other best friends or closest friends actually work. We work together, so there are people I can confide in, uh, even in like the biggest challenges. Um, and that hasn't changed because of COVID. That was something that even beforehand, like I can go for a one-on-one a -on -one with a, a coworker and, and close friend and really open up to them and know that the feedback they're giving me is is true and that they're not just saying because they're like, oh, this is my boss. Uh, but I, I know I'm in a, a unique position. I wouldn't say that that's the norm, um, but it's worked for me so far. I was reading that you had some personal tragedies, uh, friends and family around COVID. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, 
you know, my grandma got it while she was in the hospital um, and she passed. And that was in the midst of everything going on with work and like just every, it just kind of felt like at one point everything was kind of hitting the fan and it's difficult for sure. You, you, I, I wanted to more and more, I wanted to be like, I wanted to get more focus to that part of my life and my family and my mom and dad. And I knew how much they were hurting. And at the same time, you're trying to balance, like making sure that the, you know, the 50, 60 staff that you have, that you're keeping them balanced as well. Um, was the tragedy with your grandmother much like people describe where you couldn't even go because she has COVID and they wouldn't even let you in? Yeah, my grandpa was in a is in a home and wasn't able to see her. My parents, my my mom was only allowed in twice, and each time she was in like hazmat suit, pretty much. So even even knowing that was uh, it was hard. Like I, I would be, I'd be out for a drive, and then I would just think about like my mom. Actually, it was my how the effect of it on my family members, and I would just start like tearing up while driving. Because I, I just knew that there there's nothing that we could do. There was no there was no like I couldn't even go back there to you know take care of them. At one point I was I was looking into like what it would cost to get a private jet just to fly my grandpa, and my mom, and dad because they wouldn't go to the the airport themselves, um, but they would be more open to like if we took a private like a private car to a private plane and flew them over here. Uh, I was looking into those options, but it, it's just been it's been it's been tough. It's definitely been tough. In my head, I wake up every day and I think. How many more months do I have to ever see my grandmother after yeah. age 100? And then I think to myself, if COVID hits that home, I'm not going to see her, period. Yeah. And now on her home, on one floor down, they have COVID and they think they got it under control. But I'm just like sitting here on pins and needles. And I think to myself, you know, you know, maybe I have a year with my grandmother at most. And every month seems like a, like a decade taken away from me. It's kind of a weird thing. But I can totally somewhat relate to it. It's a, it's a very, it's a real tragic thing that is, uh, I think, a lot more deadly than I guess some people are taking it for. What, uh, how, how has it been for your, uh, your business? How have you, the personal struggles, the, the the staff? How do you keep positive with your staff? How do you take these artists and I think you describe them really well and get them into a mindset to be productive when it seems like when we go outside which we can't often do, but the world is kind of falling apart, but we still have to run this company and be successful. How do you, how do you get people involved in the success of the business in such a tough time? You know, I think it's about um, talking to people. It's about making sure that there's constant communication about, you know, their life, their work, the projects we're doing, sharing the, the, the news of what's going on with our business and, and letting people know that like, we're still moving forward. Like we were very clear to our team that, we set up budgets for the year. We set out goals for the year, and we're going to do what we can to, to hit those those goals and 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 use our budgets the way we we set it to do it, COVID or not. Like we we need to move forward, uh, and I think that reassurance for people helps them keep moving forward, um, and it lets them feel like they're being heard as well uh, when it comes to them opening up about their personal life. What surprises you most about the staff right now in this crisis? I'd say how resilient they are. Um, you know, again, at the beginning, I could see the hardships, I could see the the struggles, the the arguments. But at this point, you know, it doesn't seem like much. Talking to people doesn't seem like much has changed from maybe where we were six months ago. Um, we're still fiery about our projects. We're still having uh, great success with launching new campaigns. Um, you know, I think we've had to pivot some strategies, absolutely, as anybody would. But 
we're still we still have that momentum, um, and the team feels it too. You know, this 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 podcast is called Business Unplanned, and you, in a really really real way, are business unplanned. Because if I asked you when is the live concert coming back, I mean, I'd have a different answer to that every week. I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. So your your future is in some way truly unplanned to get back to what was we quote normal. Uh, if I ask you that question and then I ask you, do you think we ever get back to normal in your industry? Uh, what do you think? It depends on what we're talking about, what part of the world we're talking in. It depends on how much the government is willing to accept a level of risk in the general populace. Um, you know, even we're seeing in the states, you know, state by state, there's a different concept policy openness um i want to see events come back to their full glory of course i've got so many friends that are that are hurting so bad right now but at the same time like i've been very clear like on my social profiles and to my friends in private it's just not worth risking it and opening up too soon um there's just too many lives at stake so I'm in no rush. And do I think it's going to come back to the, the scale? I think it's going to take years and years before we have that level of trust again, especially for these massive festivals and, and global, large international events. I think it's going to take a long time. And these guys are going to have to pivot their business. They're going to have to treat their festivals like they might have been 10 years ago and not think that they're going to have 150,000 people. But they survived as a business when they only had 20,000 people at one point. Like You might have to go back to that to some extent. If you think about the kind of being business unplanned and being uncertain, how have you thought about just day-to-day motivation? So if I'm your team, I'm sitting at home thinking, when are we coming back to normal? And, and then every day, you know, the sun comes out more in the summer and, you know, lockdowns level. Like today, as we're having this conversation, we're kind of like level one's allowed. You know, we have to get to two or three, but some even states and provinces are backing off that. Mm. Uh, and I'm sitting there at home and I'm, 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 I'm one of your staff. Um, how do I stay motivated? Like, how do you get everybody rowing in the same direction? Like, uh, how often do you meet with them? Do you speak to them? Like, what is, how, how do you lead in this kind of strange time? Well, I've been sending out memos to the, the staff every couple of weeks. I've been, you know, doing phone calls with a good chunk of the team. We're going for walks. We do a lot of team walks where we just go for a walk around the seawall, social distance. <laughs> how many of you do that together? Oh, well, I do a lot. I do a lot of one-on-ones. Like I've had days where I've had six hours of one-on-one walks with people and just to get them out of the, get them out of the the house. Um, but we've had some like, you know, three, four or five person team catch-ups just like on the seawall or in the park. Do you Um, do that every week, no matter what? Pretty much. It's again, it's important for us to maintain that communication. Um, but also like, I know that people want to get out there. They need to get out. Um, but it, it's worked for us to kind of keep that communication, that energy going. What motivation tips would you have for another CEO? What would you tell another CEO? Okay, look, I'm living this right now, and I got to keep people's spirits up. Besides, you know, going for these walks, what, what do you think you can do from home in this kind of time, which is completely uncertain for you and pretty much all of us? I think it's remembering why you started the business in the first place, hmm. remembering your your ethos and your objective, and remembering that's why you're doing this, and that we will get through this. It's, it's like the stock market, you know, the stock market is going to, it's going to come back eventually. Who knows how long it's going to take, but it'll eventually come back. Um, same with your business. Your business might be hurting now. And if you can pivot in a way to survive, it will, things will get better with time. And if you can keep that positivity in your mind, you, you can kind of spread that through your team through strong communication. I'm going to keep coming back to communication. I, I think for people to feel alone right now, 
is the most detrimental thing. And they need to know that everybody's in this together. They, the CEO, I took a personal stance where I opened up about my personal struggles through this to my team, like in our memos, I actually said like, this is what I'm going through right now, guys. And, um, but these are what's keeping me motivated and keeping me moving forward. And I've, I've been very transparent about that. What Uh, kind of things would you share with them? What kind of topics? Just that, you know, my energy levels have definitely felt some days where I'm on almost like a manic and that that's, that's normal and that's okay. Uh, and not to expect that you're going to be the exact same person you were every day beforehand. It's a really, really interesting thing you're doing. And it's, it's actually a very high EQ idea of yours, which is maybe I'm sure, you know, but it's like being vulnerable to your staff. I think for a long time, it sounded like a weakness, but it's incredibly powerful when you do it because they see you as a person and they relate to you. And, they, and normally they see you as the founder, as this this you know highly creative business leader. But when you become vulnerable to your staff and even ask for help, it's amazing what you get back. Did you find that was the case? A million percent. There's no question in my mind. The loyalty you get from people when they feel that you're a real person and they know you're a real person is uh, is there's no there's no buying that level of loyalty. I I find. Um, this time is a very challenging time to manage kind of a, a team because, you know, you're at home. It, 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 it's, it's a kind of a mini prison sentence in a way because going out you know, can or can't be dangerous depending on where you are in the country. And let's face it, uh, if you're a parent at home, maybe you've also become a full-time teacher. Maybe uh, you're looking after your parents or maybe, you know, like let's say you're now cleaning staff, you're a teacher, you're a parent, you're, you're everything. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is high. I would say people have asked me at different boards what I'm thinking. And I think that we have a small but significantly growing mental health crisis where I think this is the longer this goes, the harder it gets. Because as you said, people need to socialize, people need to get out. Um, and I keep thinking about things we should avoid doing. Um, have you thought about how to decrease anxiety for the people at home. Have you thought about like, how do I get them to, they're taking on so much at home. This is such an unknown for them. And we have no idea when opening back up, but how do you decrease the anxiety around the people that you need the most? Yeah, that, you know, I've thought about parents before. Um, the Monster Cat's a relatively young team. We've only, we only have a few staff who are parents. And I, I feel for them a lot because I know that this is just, there's no, there is no daycare. There is no taking the kids to school. It's like full time. I'm a parent. I'm a worker. You know, we've been trying to encourage people that even though you're stay at home, but like try to use some of your vacation days to get out and do a little like staycation type of thing. You know, where if you can do it in a safe manner, um, if you've got a cabin, go up to your cabin for a bit. Try to maintain some balance in your life. Uh, and again, I. But we've been doing, we had a mental health um, seminar uh, where we had somebody come in speaking to the team about ways that they can take care of themselves, whether it's a reading, meditation, exercise. How did that go? It went well. It, uh, you know, as seminars are, it's it's sometimes people are like, okay, is this something I, I have to attend? And then they do. And they're like, okay, that was, I'm really happy I did attend that. I don't know, you know, how much people have taken that to heart and started activating on it. That's, you know, on their own time. But we're trying to give the resources necessary for people to learn and and i think people are going to come out of this so much stronger because this is i always talk about your stress benchmark it's like 
once you've dealt with something that's extremely high stress, your stress benchmark has been raised. And the next time you have to deal with something of high stress, your benchmark has already been raised. You'll be able to handle it that much better. Um, so as much as this is a challenge and it's, it's going to be hard for people, they're going to come out of it stronger. And now a message from our sponsor. You're listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Make sure you subscribe for more conversations, learning and insights, or visit our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub. There you'll find helpful articles and videos for any stage of business, whether you're starting out, expanding, or looking for advice. I recommend the latest content series on crisis planning, which in this current age is more relevant than ever. There's an expansive e-guide that you can download absolutely free with chapters about cash flow crisis or even applying for government grants. And there's four companion workbooks to help you get started. So if you want to see your business one step ahead, visit bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub. What would you tell yourself, you know, we're three months into this crisis, what would you tell yourself three months ago of what you probably should have done better with a virtual team? Like, what would you wish you would have known three months ago? What you know, would you I, I, it's, it's really hard to live in, in you know, Captain Hindsight, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of projects that, you know, we had great ideas early on for ways that we could pivot and, uh, and provide value to our artists and our community in the earliest stages, I wish I just wish we had moved forward quicker and, and we were less hesitant because of the unknown of the future. And there's no reason we, sh- we shouldn't have moved forward. Um, and we could have been the first to market on a lot of different concepts and projects that we, you know, were being thrown around. And But again, the fear of like, what's coming? Is this going to be forever? Should we be spending, you know, huge amounts of money right now on, on developing new products? Or uh, those were all just very much the unknown. So it's very difficult to look back and say, was that the wrong decision? Because, again, we didn't know where we'd be today. But I think I, it, it kind of spreading that confidence a bit more of like, we have nothing to lose here. We should just, in the long run, we can, we're going to come out of this okay. We should move forward on these things. I, I kind of wish we had done a bit more of. You know, I, I, I've been on um, the entrepreneur path for a long time. And people have asked me a bit about the journey and all this kind of stuff and asked me, you know, tips and what I was thinking. And I always told people and uh, that I thought it was a marathon and not a sprint. Mm. And the people who always ask me, they'll say, well, what what, are the, what tips do you have, Mike? What, what, what should I do? And, you know, after I give the standard blurb about being focused, which I think is actually pretty true, I tell people that they should all just focus on three things, diet, sleep, and exercise. Yeah. If you look at your happiness and you look at your family and you look at everything, you boil it down. But if you can, you can control that and you can do that with your staff, like, uh, that's a huge win. Have you thought about when you look at your staff's well-being from home? Have you ever thought about you know, those three buckets? You know, not well enough. Now that you bring it up for their at-home well-being, uh, in terms of what I can do for that. But you know, in the office, we have, we have hot lunches every day. We have fully stocked kitchen, and it's all done in a manner of, you know, trying to have healthy options, vegetables. You can make sandwiches. You can make whatever you need to make with what we have available in a healthy manner. But so what happens to their that, home? Exactly. It's a great question. And I have no idea how people are eating while they're at home. Uh, and I think that you've, you've given me something to think about on how we can, we might be able to help people out in that case. Uh, Cause I do agree with you. I know myself personally um, due to health issue I have, if I don't sleep uh, and I'm not eating well, I, I will, I will be sick uh, and I will be in, in discomfort. And it's, so the sleep and health, and exercise and eating is so important to me 
because it's the only way I can move forward in my day. And I know that I'm the extreme in that case, uh, but I know that on a lesser level, even if somebody wasn't getting sick, uh, they uh, they should be keeping that same mindset. So I have this friend who's a VP at one of the major banks, mm. and about a month into the COVID, he was he has his team that he's managing, and uh, he found that stress levels were going through the roof because what he found, and I'm not sure if you found this, but I've seen this, is that time has gone out the window. So everybody's firing off each other emails at 10 or 11 at night. And let's say you get an email from some senior person at 10 or 11 at night. Do I respond at 11.35 back to them or do I wait for the morning? But in the morning, I've got to feed my kids and I can't respond till 10. You know, And so what happens is that if I don't respond immediately, which is generally the wrong thing to do with immediacy because you've got to digest, you feel anxiety. Then you don't sleep as well. And so it's this, this kind of, you find yourself living this constant groundhog day of Monday of like, it, there is never any break. And emails are, no people have a complete disregard for anybody's personal time. Yeah. People are going to bed with anxiety. They're not sleeping. They're waking up early to do something because they have kids and everything else and teaching. And I find that this this COVID situation has created a pressure cooker where everybody feels that they need to respond all the time and immediately and with anxiety. And it's almost like there's been no barriers now. There is no, everybody should just keep working. Did you find that? I mean, and how have you thought about yeah, it with your staff? I, I, do, I do find that. Fortunately, with our staff, it's automatically set to kind of snooze past a certain time. Um, what time so is that? I don't actually know it off the top of my head. I, it, it must, I think it's seven at the latest. Cause That's I do pretty know early. If, That's pretty good. I do know if I've sent messages, it, uh, I'll, get the, I'll get the notification back um, being like, this is, a, this is a snooze right now. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a mandatory um, policy or anything like that. It's just a reminder for people that, you know, this is people's off hours. Um, myself personally, I've always had the, I don't know what you call it, but my working style is very motivation and inspiration comes in bursts. And, you know, yesterday I had a, an idea for a project and, you know, I didn't stop working on that till midnight last night. And I'm not saying that that's the healthy way to do things, but I know for myself personally, if I try to split that out over three days, I won't have the same level of result for that kind of creation of the project. But the way I kind of work is I'll do a burst with a couple team members or just myself yesterday, and then I'll have the full, you know, template set up and the plan set up. And I can now take that to my directors and be like, this guys, this is my concept. Can we run with this? Does this make sense? We can do it on a larger scale. And then from there it's disseminated across the organization. And if it's something that makes sense in a way that um, can be handled as a, with a bit more longevity, as you said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But I do find that to get to that first concept, I do enjoy the sprint. Where do you get your advice from or help from? Do you have a peer group? Mostly it, people within my industry that I've kind of come up with. A buddy of mine for a while was was kind of the network connector to all of the, at that point, we we're all under the age of 30. Uh, I think we were calling that, he called us like the 20-somethings or something like that. And those, a lot of those people have become like my closest friends, allies, mentors, uh, and many have done exceptionally well. So those are kind of the people I learn from my daily basis. But in the last couple of years, I've actually been trying to get out more into the entrepreneurship community uh, and develop more like traditional mentorship. If COVID hadn't happened, I was in the process of joining YPO, um, part of Summit in, uh, in the States. Um, I'm definitely trying to find more mentors outside of music that I can learn from. Uh, I think I've kind of hit that point where I've got great a great music network around me, but I now need to learn a bit more about 
other people's how they've developed them and i might learn something that is a novel way to do it that nobody in the music industry is going to do because it didn't come from the music industry have you have you i mean i think it's probably something we don't talk a lot about but we talk about talk a lot about how we you know fear failure and 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 not making it and this crisis brings on a lot of fear in general have you kind of thought about your staff and thought like you know, what if I can't motivate them in this time? And do you, do you fear failure with your staff that you're not going to get through this time period? What if we don't have a live event for two more years? Uh, does that bother you? Does that worry you? What are you thinking? Of course. Um, these are people who've, you know, committed their life to, you know, what we're building. And I appreciate that. And I know how much it's taken for them, for us to get to where we are. So it's always in the back of my head that I've got people's livelihood that I need to consider in decision-making and in our planning for our business. And I want to make sure that I do do right by them. Um, you know, we were one of the few, if not one of the only music industry companies who's done options for all their staff. They're going to look back and, and they're going to have a, a level of financial and life comfort because of the commitment they made to us. And, and just going back to your business uh, to kind of wrap it up, um, what would surprise people the most about your industry when you come to this kind of idea of getting music out? I mean, I always think when you look at... Uh, uh, you know, my brother's a movie producer and we just put out our first movie. And, you know, once you understand how the business works in film and, and I think music's tangential, like it doesn't work like how anybody thinks it does. And, you know, yeah. you have to build a product with like anything else. Uh, what would you think would surprise people most about your industry? I think it's interesting about it. Maybe this is the same as any other industry. There is a there's a way that's been around for the dawn of time to develop artists, market music. But there's always room for novel ways to do it at all times. And there's always that somebody who blows up in this really unique way. Uh, and I think that's really cool that it's not 100% set in stone. This is the only way to do things. Um, and I think the other thing people would surprise people is it's one of the most revenue-stable industries I've, I've ever seen. You really can do projections uh, quite well um, based off of artist past success, uh, factoring in the potential for hits, there is there are formulas attached to it. You can figure this stuff out, meaning that I think at one point before the streaming era, it was considered a very high-risk industry. I'd say it's actually one of the uh, lower-risk industries now. If a record label came to me and said, I, we, want, we need funding to grow our business, and I was able to look at their numbers and, and see their artist roster, I can pretty safely assume uh, how much I'm willing to put down and, and where I think I can get that money back in the future. Uh, and I think that that surprises people. I think generally that is, that that totally surprises me. I would have thought it's a it's a much much harder thing to predict. So what do you mean? So where does the revenue come from now? There's still thirty plus revenue streams. It, it's interesting. Once you have enough data from enough artists over enough time period, it, it does become a it, it becomes easier to project. Um, especially if you have a good team of people and a good A and R staff. It, it's very. I, I think you can make a bet on the the right people that they're going to they're going to bring hits out and they're going to develop great musicians and great talent. Um, and I think there will be a, a wave of of interest in investing in music companies now. You know, I, I think there might be a wave coming similar to the, the, the heat of, you know, say esports, like everyone trying to get in because it's a new thing. I know music is not new, but I think the concept that music is sustainable, that you can really create careers now and you don't rely upon the old way of doing things in the major label system that you can build a, you can build something novel now. Uh, and it, the doors are open to creativity and innovation right now. Um, and that really excites me. Hmm. Are you finding that there's more artists uh, coming up, 
because they're at home doing like a lot more production. So are you finding that the kind of stay at home thing has created more creativity with artists or what are you seeing? It really depends. I think there are some people who are really struggling. I think that people with the studio session type artists that need to be in the studio with, with teams, they're struggling. I think writers who their creativity for like songwriting comes from like boot camps and working with, with, uh, the artists directly themselves. Like it, there are people that are really struggling not being able to have the in-person time. But I do think there are a subset of artists that are, you know, the stay-at-home producer type, uh, especially in the EDM culture that are thriving. If I fast forward you one year and you and I yeah. have a conversation and the world is open back up, we have a vaccine, everything's allowed to go back to what we call normal. What do you think survives and not survive? How do you think the world has changed in music? It's going to be interesting to see how the major festivals and and major like stadium type shows do in the future because the ticket prices have to be so high um, and you really do need to sell a very high percentage of your tickets. So I'm just, I don't know where that's going to go. If people are going to be willing to pay the same amount of money they once did, or if people are even willing to go to a show at all. Uh, I, the live side is one that I just, I'm not willing to take a, a real bet on. Uh, it's too up in the air, but that's the only area where I'm like, I, I'm worried or I don't know what the future looks like. The music side I know people are going to keep streaming music. I know they're going to keep discovering artists. Uh, it's music is ingrained in our lifeblood on a day-to-day basis. But the event side is one I'm I'm, uh, I'm more hesitant about. So, Mike, I I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought you were very uh, open and 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 forthright. I I think that it's such a an interesting time to be in the music industry. I mean, first off, your industry went through just some of the most you know tumultuous change and turmoil even on the past 20 years i mean it's almost like your industry has been rebuilt three times up to covid and now with covid now we're taking all the way the live programming which was let's face it was a major generation of revenue for like mm-hmm. just about every big band or musician in the world and then we can't go to coachella and everything else it's absolutely stunning so you you're doing really well at a time when you know your entire industry is being turned upside down again so you have to have this crazy resiliency and be off to pivot and work from home so i am just super impressed with you and your business i also find you um you know relative to all the entrepreneurs i meet you just have a very high eq and you seem to be very in touch with what you need to do for your staff what i would say is this and you almost answered it in your last um, in your last uh, uh, answer there about what do you think is going to happen next year. Um, I think that probably there's the secret to how you can thrive and do better. Uh, I think this is going to be a lot longer. I think we could talk about not going to shows for up to one to two years from now because we all talk about vaccines and when we get back together. But the truth mm-hmm. is we don't actually know. And mm-hmm. we don't know how effective that's going to be. And we don't know if there's another outbreak and what have you. You almost have to stay in the music industry right now like you're not going to have another live show for years. And also, you actually make a good point where, you know, we also face a tougher recession. So what I would do right now is to kind of double down on what's going great in your business, which is everything that you're doing virtually and, and, and these artists, because your music is actually really great and your choices are really great. What I would say is I would double down again on the kind of health and well-being of your staff that are artists and are creative. And I would actually get a little deeper into their diet, sleep and exercise. I love the fact that you actually put snooze at an early time, like seven o'clock. I thought you were going to say like 11 p.m., but I think that's very beneficial. Um, so I think every month this goes on, the new normal stays. And I also think people are going to have to eat better and exercise better and sleep better. And I and, and if, if you kind of say that I'm in this for maybe another couple of years, it kind of gives you direction of where you got to go with your staff. But I got to tell you, 
I think your music is fantastic. I hope our listeners uh, call up a bunch of your stuff. And uh, I just found you very engaging and, uh, and, and, and really care about your staff. So it's really great to see. But I, I really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate your time as well, man. Uh, thank you so much. It's been uh, definitely a cool experience. And um, I'm going to take to heart what you said, especially around the health and wellness. I think there's a real conversation to be had with my, um, uh, my team about what we can do there. Thanks for listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Join us next time where we'll be discussing understanding customer needs with Janet Zuccarini of Gusto 54 Restaurant. You don't want to miss it, so subscribe now. And for other resources, stop by our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub.